Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. All right, let's introduce our guest for episode 20. Libby Mears is the CEO of Leisure Networks based in Australia and over the past eight years has driven transformative change, significantly extending the reach and impact of the organization. Libby is well known for her passion for enabling a high-performing and positive culture and has built a highly regarded community organization and leading provider of disability services. Leisure Network's team of passionate people are driven by the organizational mission of connecting people to community to build inclusive, health-promoting places and enabling people of all abilities to direct their own lives. In addition to her role at Leisure Networks, Libby is deeply committed to making a broader leadership contribution and for eight years was a local council and mayor of the Surf Coast Shire. Libby is currently chair of the Great Ocean Road Coast and Parks Authority and G-Force Employment Services. Welcome, Libby Mears, to Lead to Soar. Welcome, listeners, to Lead to Soar. It's, uh, again, my privilege to come to you. Today, I'm on the country of the Boon Wurrung and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders. They hold the memories, the traditions, the cultures, and the hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across our nation. And it's also my great honour and privilege to welcome my guest today, Libby Mears. Now, 
Libby and I have just met face-to-face, albeit face-to-face is on Zoom these days, but uh, for the first time, but I've been following her avidly for, for some time because she's a woman who has a, a, a CV and a, a bio that has two things that particularly stand out for me, apart from the fact that she's a woman who is a CEO. She's been in politics and she's heavily involved in sport at very senior levels. And for those of you who follow along, you know that I'm extraordinarily passionate and do a lot of work and advocacy around closing the leadership gender gap in sport. And I am also, oh, you know, I sit in the cheap seats like most other people do and have a go at politicians and politics, but I'm very acutely too aware of and consider it a privilege to be to have the opportunity to vote and observe politics. So Libby Mears, welcome to Lead to Soar. What a delight. Thank you, Michelle. And I am very pleased to be here coming from the land of the Gulagin people in the back of the Otways near Lawn in Victoria. Prior to December, I was coming to people from country that's familiar to you as well, the country of the Wadawurrung people, because I was in Torquay for five months, uh, or the, the lovely surf coast where you've got some you've got some history, haven't you? Oh, I've got strong connections, completely passionate <laughs> about the surf coast and everything yes. that it uh, stands for. Yes, I do. <laughs> And, and for our, our listeners who are not uh, on the east coast of, of Australia where we are, we're talking about magnificent territory. Now, I'm a, I'm a West Australian girl originally, and we've got some of the most magnificent coastline, uh, I think, in the world. But I've got to say the surf coast of Victoria is absolutely my, my, my place. It's absolutely magnificent. So, so Libby, let's get started. Um, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners can you talk about the career that you've had that has soared? So what is your career that soars story? Oh, what a, what a lovely opening question. I guess for me, my journey has been one where it's unfolded in front of me, not necessarily being planned by me. And then I keep reflecting back and think, oh, that was good that happened, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think about that, you know, even as young as year 10 when my mother said, I think you need to go to secretarial school. I don't think you'll do your year 12. And I said, oh, really? Mm -hmm. And so she sent me off to a school uh, for the last two years. But the wonderful principal there saw something in me, appointed me in a student leadership role, and I was sports swimming captain, and and off I went. And I saw myself in a different way because people had seen myself in a different way. And that was really delightful. My big step, I guess, was the opportunity to move into local council, as you've mentioned, and that was through people who uh, suggested after an AGM at a local kinder, the Anglesey Kindergarten, uh, that actually I run for council. So from there, this story unfolded into many opportunities of leadership and uh, has eventuated on opportunities to sit on boards and also as CEO of Leisure Networks and particularly eight years as a local representative of our community in the surf coast. So it sort of unfolded in a lovely way while I was having children and relocating from Melbourne to the surf coast and probably not saying no to very much, just kind of going with it. So I guess my leadership journey came from not saying no to opportunities, just being able to say, oh, okay, I'll give it a go, having people around to support me. And so that's, you know, how things unfolded. And then being led, I guess, through my values, what was important 
And for me, it's how we live in communities, how we interact and connect and how we can have an impact. Interesting. I So there's a couple of things there when I, when I hear about you that I, for me personally, I really resonate with, which is not say no. Well, no, two things. An unfolding career. I like that. I haven't heard that one before. I usually say I didn't really have much of a plan. I kind of had this jungle gym, not a not a vertical ladder, a bit like Cheryl Sandberg says in Lean In. Yes. Uh, your career can be a jungle gym. But that not saying no and being willing to take a risk, where did that come from, Libby? How did you mm. learn to not say no? Because in the work that I slash we do, Susan, Mel and I across a career that soars and all of my, I guess, gender equity work, we know that, uh, that women can often be held back by themselves by thinking, oh, I need to be very qualified or I need to get another degree or this, but they, they pause. How did you learn to not say no? <laughs> I think it does come from really being curious. And so having a real curiosity around what could be, and, and that sort of dovetails into being really interested in learning and growth and development. And, and if I don't sort of get what I was thinking might be one opportunity, I think naturally somehow I just think, oh, that's going to lead to something else though. So maybe it's the frame of mind or an, an optimism that things will work out. And I am a bit of a risk taker. So there's that in my profile, you know, moving from Melbourne with three little babies and a husband down to the surf coast. We kind of just did it for a year just to give it a shot. So there's a, yeah. a sense of being willing to expose ourselves. I think there's the other element, you know, a really personal component of me is I have a, a beautiful sister who passed away very early due to leukaemia at 42, you know, with a family. And, and I kind of saw what could have been for her life. And I think it made me realise you get one shot. And so don't muck around. Give yourself the best chance to do what you love and to learn and to grow. And so I think combined with just naturally being comfortable in putting myself into spaces that I know that I do like to get things right, but I also I feel okay about making mistakes. I don't yeah. beat myself up about it. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear about your sister. And... Uh, and those are those are often experiences, as you said, they shape your mindset. They they yeah. shape the way you look at life. And and I guess you know what's the worst that could happen by saying yes to the, this opportunity. I wonder if I go back to the the piece around you saying you're living your values as well, which of course are shaped by a whole bunch of different things, but. If I reflect on our leadership definition, which is leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others, the greatness in you, your personal greatness, part of that, part of that, you know, it's, it's your worldview, your attributes, your strengths, but it's your values as well. So you're very in touch clearly with what your values are. If I was, and this is where I'm going completely off script as I warned, but if I was to say to Libby today, what are your values? Well, well, I'm interested actually, what are your values? How, how do you live your life and lead through your personal greatness and your values? Yeah, oh, such a great question. And I didn't really know what they were in all honesty until I had to use them really around the political table around yeah. making decisions on behalf of the community and it, it meant that I had to understand why I was making choices and how I could articulate them and so I think for me it's always it is about what is the right thing to do not the easy thing to do 
Um, mm. and, and then for me, that comes from, you know, probably the, the greatest good and the greatest impact. So social justice and inclusion uh, matter. Supporting people who need more support matters. Uh, that probably comes also from my background in public health and health promotion and working with communities who uh, have less advantage than others. And so I do really tend to steer into those directions where uh, impact can be great. And that's clearly, you know, with women, you know, very passionate around gender equality and very passionate around diversity, people with disability. So I do tend to have a strong sense of social justice, I guess, can kind of overarch. But doing what is good, what is right, makes a lot of sense for me because at night then I sleep soundly and so I'm not a Machiavellian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't look at, you know, <laughs> means justifies the ends. I just can't live in that frame at all. Fascinating to hear that perspective from a politician and, and look, you... Well, you are. You're a politician. Once a politician, mm, always a politician. Absolutely. And polit politicians get such a bad rap. And I think so unfortunate because certainly as, as as someone who grew up in a very politically aware and involved family, so from a very young age, I mean, my, my childhood hero was Gough Whitlam at the age yeah. of eight. So, you know, you can tell how much of a politics <laughs> nerd I am. Um, you know, my great, one of my greatest moments being, you know, shaking him by the hand and having him call me young comrade, you know. So anyway, but um, I digress. But politicians, it's often a vocation for a, a politician. I mean, let's face it, you don't go into politics to get rich or, or win any popularity contests. But those values that underpin it are, are so important. And I really appreciate what you said about how, how they developed and it helped you make decisions. And that you wanted to really be anchored to something. And, you know, when you were figuring out why did I make that decision, you went back to your values. So you're going back to that personal greatness. But let me let me segue then into, and you and I share values around, particularly around social justice and inclusion, but let me segue that into making business decisions. So if I look at your, your CV, so you, as you said, you sit on boards and significant boards around the community, so the Great Ocean Road Coast and Parks Authority. And for those not in Australia or who don't know, the Great Ocean Road is one of the most magnificent roads. Well, I've been around a lot of the world and, and it's just magnificent, isn't it, Libby? And it's long yeah. and it's... The National it's, Heritage. It's, yeah. It is a National Heritage. I mean, it's a, I think it should be one of the great wonders of the world. So you've been on, on school boards, councils, Etc. So you've had these roles, and of course, your role as a, as a now CEO and a long-serving CEO. The decisions that we have to make as board directors, as CEOs, and as leaders have to be pretty astute. Have to be commercially sound. Have to deliver outcomes and the impact for stakeholders, shareholders, etc. How do you balance? those outcomes that are desired with your values? That's that's part one of the question. And then I'm going to talk about how you developed the acumen to make those decisions that have the impact. So how difficult is it to be in politics on a board, a CEO with a very strong set of, of values and making that, well, not how difficult, but how, how do you make those decisions when sometimes we kind of have to do stuff that, I don't know, challenges us? Oh, all the time, because uh, I guess that's the beauty of working in a space where you represent 
people, you know, as, as a local councillor, the diversity of interests are varied and they're across the spectrum. And so there's always a point where you know that there will be some people happy with the outcome and others not happy with the outcome. And so that that's the reality. You do actually have a lot about, it's an art as much as anything of kind of working through competing interests, but seeing the longer term view. So the role, particularly on a board, uh, a council, even as a CEO, we straddle between what happens now and the decisions we make now, but then the long-term best interests of the entity that we represent. So we are sometimes working on behalf of people who are not even here yet. So I was working on behalf of you, Michelle, before you even moved to Torquay. So in 2004, when I was on council, we were talking about the community that wasn't here yet and what did we need to consider. And if all we considered were the views of the people in Torquay, the 30 13,000 people in Torquay at that time, or probably not even 13, actually, it's probably less, you know, we wouldn't actually be doing our job for being long-term custodians of uh, the, the places that we uh, have responsibility for. And I think that's the same for business uh, as well. So the long-term future and sustainability is critical. So you do make decisions that don't always please people. But I also agree in having really transparent processes so that people have a chance to provide their, their value into whatever it is the decision-making process is. I'm very, very uncomfortable with tokenistic consultation, sham tick boxes. If you're going to do that, don't do it. Actually own the decision yeah. and say, this is not a decision for the community. This is a decision for council, the board or whatever. So, yeah. you know, be really honest and open around what role community can play and how much influence community can have. Don't pretend they have a decision-making role when they don't. But then equally so, look for ways, as I've done in, you know, really interesting citizens' jury examples in Aries Inlet where we gave over the decision-making around road sealing, of all things, to 12, yeah. to 12 members of the community to deliberate with experts and come up with their plan for what roads needed to look like in Aries Inlet. So I guess for me, process is everything. Great process leads to really strong outcomes you can stand behind in terms of decisions shitty processes give you a shocking outcome uh and yeah i agree it's like the you know rubbish in rubbish out right oh, so yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah 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 you're listening to lead to soar find information on upcoming events and learn how to join the network at lead What's interesting, I've just been scribbling away here, is that you talk about outcomes, but there was one piece, um, so again, you know, achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. That citizens uh, panel or citizens yeah. jury, as you called it, for, you know, I guess road sealing, you could probably say, oh, goodness, that's an interesting one. But i got to say, as someone who's lived on a whole bunch of different places, dreadful roads, particularly in regional and remote areas become a very big issue uh, for communities. So what I really appreciate what you've just described there is you're looking at the long term. So what's the big picture here? And what? how do I gauge the greatness in others? And in this case, the others were those citizens which uh, who were impacted by any decision. So 
let's get them in. And, you know, it's crowdsourcing 101, but it's also for me in terms of a, of a leadership uh, and, and, you know, practical wisdom for the leaders who are listening to say, bring the target market your target cohort, your target citizens or constituents inside the tent and help them co-create a solution and work with them to co-create a solution. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So engage their greatness, right? Absolutely. And because no one knows better than people closest to the issue, like in all honesty. Mm. And so I believe that with the people we support who have disability, they know what they need. Let's ask them and work with them and respond to their needs or whether it's in communities. And I think it's just enabling the time, the space and the resourcing to do it well and then authentically responding. You know, if you're going to co-create or even as we did, hand over, empower, provide decision-making authority, you've got to stick to it. You can't just say, well, we said you could make the decision, but we don't quite like that bit of it. So we're not going to do that bit because that means everything falls down. You lose the confidence and the trust uh, in in the Mm. people you've brought into the room. It's very disrespectful. Yeah, and fascinating. Whilst it's not a popular topic at the moment, but at the time when just after the 45th president was elected, Donald Trump, he was like, oh, my God. And I said, you know, as much as I don't, didn't, and still don't like that decision. That's democracy. And democracy can't be kind of taken off and put back on the shelf as we need. It's either there or it's not. So it's it's, it's the same with let's bring people inside the tent, engage their greatness, but you've got to be prepared. And I think this is really important in, in our conversations around inclusion and diversity. Sometimes leaders are going to hear things they don't like, particularly when it's about their own organisation, their own leadership, and the ability to say, I'm open and I have the ability to hear feedback that I might not like. That I'm, and in some cases, I might not be able to do something about, but I've got to be able to have that trust and that authenticity and, and the ability to, or the processes as you them, to engage uh, for, with them for that feedback. Because when we link it to the big picture and creating those outcomes, that's what it's all about, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and le- leadership and great leaders don't run away from the tough stuff. You know, that actually is what, builds greatness going through the tough stuff it's just like a you know what is it and under pressure creates diamonds like you mm. do grow through the tough stuff it's actually when you grow it's very easy to be a leader when life is smooth when things are yeah. ticking on and you can actually you know kind of get fat and happy I kind of thrive on the challenge and the dynamics I do like stability and I like confidence in processes so that we can you know work effectively but when there is crisis, so through COVID, really interesting time. I didn't like what happened, but I, I liked what it what it taught all of us in our organisation around the importance of leadership, um, visibility, and caring for people. It kind of brings out, okay, what's the critical thing we've got to do right now in mm-hmm. this instance? And it is always about the people. You know, it's always about care and relationships with people to support yep. them through through times like that. So I agree with you around, um, you know, that that sense of leadership is is having to stand in front of often and where whatever <laughs> comes at you. I've done that a few times in town hall meetings and things, and uh, you know that's okay. That's that's kind of exciting in a way because you then think you've got an opportunity potentially to influence positively. Yeah, I uh, and, and yes, I think there's there's a piece that I'm I'm reflecting on in Susan's book and it it talks about part of this 
the identity shift that we want women to have around leadership is number one, um, leadership. You've got to have that internal identity shift. I am a leader and what does leadership mean? We, we know what leadership means. So that internal identity shift, but also part of it is saying, yes, I'm in a commercial relationship with my employer. They pay me and I do stuff, but a leader is for the business. You know, whether it's a council, whether it's a board, whether it's leisure networks, whether whomever it may be, I am for the business. And that means I've got to do stuff that's not always going to be peachy. So, and, and I can imagine Libby, town hall meeting with cranky constituents could be, uh, that would be a real test of leadership. I want to have a loop back now around our three-part definition of leadership to that middle part about the business strategic and financial acumen. Mm. We know that for women to move from middle management to senior executive and into the C-suite like you are, they have it is a given that they will have really solid business strategic and financial acumen. And it's the engaging the greatness in others and their personal greatness that will set them apart. But we also know that's the missing 33% for, for a lot of women. Women are typically not uh, from career outset, not given career advice, coached, led, trained to develop those skills. So who told you about it and how did you develop your business strategic and financial acumen? Did mm. someone have an influence on you? Was it, you know, what, what were the experiences that you said, right, I really need to get good at this stuff? It's mm, a great question. And I've really, I've listened to that in your podcasts and really reflected on that because it is a part that that's not my training. I did accounting in year 12, passed, but then did not move on in that direction. But I uh, absolutely need to be financially literate and also understand how to put together a business case and have a strong sense of commerciality. I think working, a council exposed me to significant levels of content that I lapped up. So strategic long-term financial forecasting, understanding big budgets with big investments. So that was great and really lapped up the offer to work with the chief financial officer and just get the fundamentals in place. But it still doesn't give you you know, everything you need. So to me, it has been a journey of ongoing learning, working at the TAC. I did after I finished on council, I worked at the TAC for three years and, and remember writing a $10 million business case around an investment in a rehab facility for people with brain injury after a motor vehicle accident. And so again, uh, that was not my natural expertise, but it was requirement. I worked with people in there, looked for people who could mentor me and support me, worked with people who provided a safe space so I could ask the the silly questions or the or get the you know get the definitions right or get the structure right so again being really willing to put myself into something that for me was really really important the investment the outcome was going to be so important for people's lives and the potential that the lives they could lead and then I think the final bit of it was I was on the Cadinia Park Stadium Trust, which I had four fantastic years on and loved that and was asked early on in the, uh, my time there by the chair to chair the Finance Audit and Risk Committee. So the Finance Audit and Risk Committee of a statutory authority has quite particular responsibilities. And I said to the chair at the time, I'll, I will do that, but I will need to complete my AICD course for both yep. the reputation of the organisation because I'm not CPA qualified 
the organisation needs to have confidence, you know, the entity, and I need to have confidence. And so I did. I went off and did five days in Melbourne at the AICD, and that was very powerful and probably gave me just the missing fundamentals. There's fantastic yeah. course finance fundamentals, and then to do the full AICD uh, just uh, gave me that level. And then very comfortably chaired the uh, Audit and Risk Committee for another two and a half years or so and learned a lot through that process as well. Why do you think that person said you're going to chair the Finance and Audit Committee? Because that's a big deal. And for any of our our listeners thinking, right, I want to get on a board one day, and if you think that particularly financial acumen is one of your Achilles heels or opportunities for development, go and get on a subcommittee, a Finance and Audit subcommittee, and or find someone who's been on one and have them mentor you. But why did that person say... Hey, Libby, I think you can chair the Finance and Audit Committee. I think because I put my hand up to go on just as a member. So I'd sat on it for a year and I did, I put my hand up for that because people looked at me and said, well, you're a CEO, you understand finances. And I thought, yeah, well, I I do. And so, and I do sit on our organisational finance and risk committee, absolutely. And I do work with our head of finance. So I think it was, I put my hand up and I did it. And and therefore I was in the space and therefore the opportunity. So I think I put myself in the the space to have the opportunity, which was fantastic. That's that's you saying, I'll give it a go again, isn't it? A bit, yeah, it is a bit. Not comfortable, though, I have to say. It's not comfortable. And, in fact, you know, recently we've established our Finance and Risk Committee at uh, the Great Ocean Road Coast and Parks Authority, and I had a chat to a woman who I suggested should be thinking about that. And naturally, uh, as we often do, we think, oh, really? Oh, really? Mm. Can I do that? And I said, yeah, you should, actually. Uh, and mm. that's been a great opportunity for, for her too. So I think you, you need to see it in others as well. Model it and see it in others and give others the opportunity. Oh, most definitely. And as a very senior woman, you being able to look, well, you have empathy because you, you've been a woman who's moved up through through the ranks to the highest level and being able to spot another woman with potential, but who also might not want to put herself in that position like you have. But I think that that person who who said to you, chair the committee, that's a really, that's a gift because it then set you off or yes, you'd put your hand up to go onto the committee, but then you said, all right, now I need to, it's time for a bit of of CPD, continuing professional development. Let me get into the AICD course. So for non-Australian listeners, the Australian Institute of Company Directors and uh, both Libby and I are graduates of that course. And it is, I say that it is one of the, one of the best development experiences that I've been on as well again because it gives you that it gives you theory but it also gives you really practical yeah practical wisdom I guess around what is what do you need to know and you just can't wander on into a board particularly a a board well I mean Cardinia Park a statutory authority have to have your your wits about you don't you Oh, definitely was fantastic. And do you know, a few years ago, maybe I I might not have asked for that. I might not have realised I could ask for that support to do the role. So I think that is being confident to back yourself that uh, you've got something to offer and that also you've got something to learn or you continue to learn. And, you know, it's not a cheap course, but it was one that I was fully funded to do. And then my work, Leisure Networks, provided me with the leave 
and I guess that's just acknowledging that it contributes to yep. so many parts of what I'm doing in my life. That's a really interesting little segue there that I want to take because I certainly know that one of my opportunities that I, you know, people say, what would you have done differently? Oh, you know, I did the best that I could at the time. But I've got to say, I didn't ask for enough support when I was employed by others. I didn't ask for enough support from my employers um, to develop. I mean, yes, I went to every internal professional development thing, particularly when I was with Telstra and Serco, um, that I could. But I, I can remember my boss at Serco saying, because I'd started my MBA, he said, why aren't we paying for that, Michelle? I went, oh, I don't know. He said, well, you should. He said, I want to see, I want to see. And I said, oh, and he said, Michelle, this is, you know, you are developing. You, I mean, I'm running operations in Australia. And he said, why are we not paying for it? I mean, I didn't even think about it. He said, why not? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, what would you tell one of the people, you know, particularly a woman who was in your team? I said, I'd ask her to if I could pay for it. <laughs> and he said, so why aren't you doing it yourself? So I think it's a really, it's a little nugget, a nugget of wisdom Ask for support to learn, to make you better at your job. Well, back yourself that you're worth an investment. So, mm. you know, you are worth being invested in because, the A, you know, incredible allegiance and, I guess, alignment and confidence in the company. You know, you, you stay, you retain. Yep. But you're also then going beyond usually because you're doing something, often learnings out in your own time, but the learning and development that you bring back is just so, so important. And I, I do talk to my people that I, you know, that my direct reports that work around that continuous learning and wherever possible, always support people who are particularly self-motivated around their, their learning. We've got some amazing people who are doing incredible things and just building their own greatness, as you say, which I just love that phrase. And it comes through work and development, yes, but you need to also get outside the business and engage with others. And the AICD was an incredible melting pot of many, many different backgrounds. And I think, you know, talking to people who are on ASX boards and, you know, or managing their own startups and things, you know, it was quite a diverse group of people from a business experience perspective. That's really exciting and engaging and affirming actually you're sitting around the table with all these people and you're holding your own you're asking questions absolutely you're engaging (laughs) someone said to me when I was doing my MBA they said oh you know the the best thing you're going to get out of this is your network and I went oh yeah all right then and that's so I mean it's not the best thing I got so many rich things out of of completing my MBA but the networks that I made the strategic network so I have done work with, continue to collaborate with people that I was on my MBA with and that strategic networking and that, but also the learning. Yes. You know, so number, I think number one lesson here is ask for support and have a business case ready to go to your boss with, Hey boss, I'd like some funding. I'd like some time off. And here are the returns that you're going to see for the organization as a result of this investment. So I think that's a really that's important, not just, can I have 50 grand, please? Mm. Huh? What? <laughs> but then it's the, the other thing is you, you're deliberately putting yourself into an environment where you are going to be exposed to different people from different walks of life and industry and learn different decision-making processes and skills. And it's a really important part of developing yourself as a leader who's worthy of, well, occupying roles like you do. 
It's really a great thing to do as well. If you enjoy and you're curious about people's journey, you know, you, you learn a lot and then you also benchmark yourself, which is kind of a good thing because often we, you know, we're head down working away and thinking we're doing good stuff. But until you get out in the wide world and put yourself up against someone else and realise, oh, actually I've got a fair bit of knowledge here, which has been mm. gained over many years in many different ways. So it's comforting to think that, you know, as women we often just pull our sleeves up and get on with the job. But there is something about being able to stand up, stand in front of people and really own what you've achieved. And that's empowering for other women to see and hear your journey that is not dissimilar in many ways to uh, most women who have got an interest in professional development and a career. We, we've all got lots of similarities that we all juggle. And I think that, that, you know, benchmarking that against sort of a corporate world or whatever environment you're in helps you understand where you can continue to grow and who can help you on that journey and then take confidence in what you've achieved. You have nailed the why we need role models and you, you've nailed why I do this podcast and, and many, many other things is to highlight women like you and showcase you and, and give that affirmation to and empowerment to women to say, hey, here's a great role model. And, you know, the great saying is you can be what you can see. I particularly love that in the context of AFL women's, um, so football and women playing football, which is one of my very, very big passions around sport. But I, I remember as a young person and, and as a young woman leader with little with little kids to look after, I kind of looked up and didn't see a lot of women. And I certainly didn't see women like me who were, who had children and, and all of the stuff that goes with being a parent. So I agree with you. If you can't put yourself forward first, as in I'm being in service to myself, what other woman am I inspiring? Even though I may not, may not ever meet her, but I'm putting myself forward and she will look at me and say, hey, if Libby can do it or Michelle can do it or, you know, Susan can do it or what, gee whiz, I reckon I might, I might give it a crack as well. So it's, it's so important for us to put ourselves out there in service of other women and the other thing that resonated with me with what you said was that it's very self-affirming. I can remember my first accounting course, my first accounting class in my MBA, and I went, oh, my God, I'm sitting here with CEOs and COOs and C people and very smart, important people. And I thought, oh, my God, I feel like, you know, I actually felt like little Michelle from Geraldton, Western Australia, who left school at 15. I felt very, very imposterish. Anyway, and I recall 17 minutes into the class, I said my first thing. I went, oh, I can, I can participate because I realised all those doubts I had about myself and the monkey on my back, I could hold my own with these people. In fact, I, I could. And it was, as you said, being in those environments can be really self-affirming to benchmark yourself and say, okay, I know where I've got to lift, but gee whiz, I'm good at this stuff as well. Was that the experience for you? Oh, completely. And I think it's about just knowing, oh, again, it kind of goes back to values and knowing who you are and being comfortable with who you are. And I remember my interview for Leisure Networks in 2013 and, you know, I had always loved the organisation. I thought, oh, my goodness, the opportunity to go for CEO, I'm going to do it and I'm going to be me. So I did the interview and really kind of just gave them Libby Mears on a steroids probably. And I just thought <laughs> if they like what they hear, 
I get to do what I've said I want to do. And if they don't, well, that's okay. I'm not quite right. And so obviously it was a lovely outcome and the chair was amazing. And he, you know, he was a very strong supporter of me. And my husband said to me not that long ago, he gave me a little quote on the day that the Great Ocean Road Coast and Parks Authority was launched on December 1. Here you are. It's always you kind of get the butterflies. I needed to do a speech at Point Danger in Torquay with the minister. He said, remember what Neil Young said in that in that song he sings? There's a world you're living in and no one else has your part. And so um, my gorgeous husband just kind of helped me remember to own it, own who you are and, and be who you are and that authenticity. And no one else can do what you do because that's you. That's your individuality. And so I really liked that actually also. Well, your, your, hus- your husband's very wise and you know, own who you are and... I agree. No one else will do what you do the way that you do it. But owning, knowing who you are, so know thyself and own it. Brene Brown has this terrific, well, she has many terrific things, but she says, stand in your worthiness, don't hustle for it. And, you know, hustling for worthiness takes a lot of energy and that energy could be much better expended on on other stuff, including helping your business grow. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, let's get into the practical, well, very practical. This has all been very practical, but secrets and advice to, particularly to women who are aspiring for a great career, a a career that soars. What have you learned and what wisdom do you want to pass on? Uh, What are those nuggets you want to pass on to those women? I have thought about this because it is really important, isn't it? My advice is my experience and it may work for others, but we do go back to kind of that values thing, but have have a purpose, not know, know, you know, what really you're here for. You get this one shot. So what's your purpose? And then understand how that might take you to where you can make an impact. So again, find a space where your work is actually delivering on your purpose, on your life. What is it that you're passionate about? Is it the environment? Is it about leading a, an amazing team? Is it about inclusion? Is it about your sport? You know, whatever it is, but just try to really live your purpose. And then the other thing I say to people all the time, and I live as much as I can, relationships matter. So don't burn people on the way. Invest and put into building relationships there's going to be many times where there are people you feel less able to do that with than others but it doesn't matter because relationships really form the fundamental foundation I think for being able to progress being able to walk away from a meeting and feeling like I can leave that behind I did my best I've created something positive or I've done my best and you know we'll move on I think that the curiosity so again talk less, listen more. Don't be someone who has the energy to tell people all about you, even though I'm doing that now in a podcast. <laughs> feel You've invited to do that. So. <laughs> um, I think that the, that the person who has insight into how they present themselves in a conversation and that listening is a really powerful gift to give to someone and that you also get the gift because you hear about someone else that can influence you or you and your thinking. So I really employ leaders to listen. Listen and we now, our session, we always have a leader speak last. So be aware as a leader that you influence others and can actually, you know, people will all just fall in line behind you. So I try as much as possible to speak last and let others talk. 
And then most importantly, leadership matters. So if you've had the chance, wherever it is, whether it's in a kindergarten committee, whether it's in a work committee, whether it's on a board, whether it's a school committee, whether it's a community group, leaders have a chance to make a difference. Often you have a microphone and therefore your voice is going to be heard. And what you choose to say at that moment, what you choose to highlight or reflect on, who you choose to acknowledge, who you choose to lift up, all of that has an incredible ripple effect. So the privilege of leadership is very powerful and amplifying others, shining a light, creating a better world. You know, they're all things that for me matter a lot and what I hope to do whenever I have the microphone of leadership. Well, that is terrific advice. And I really, really like the Leaders Speak Last piece. It is I think that's a really nice piece to reflect on for all, all of us because, yeah, you know, I always think about Nana saying to me, two ears, one mouth, Michelle, yes. use them in proportion. I think <laughs> it's even more important in leadership. And you're right, leadership is a privilege. And leadership manifests itself at every level and right. in every environment. So it's, I often say to, particularly when I run corporate programs for women, I don't particularly pay attention to where you are on the org chart in, in terms of whatever the hierarchy is. Leadership manifests itself at every level. It will be different in, in different career stages. But, you know, if I think about, you know, you and I have had similar experiences. You know, I've been a leader in my kids' sports clubs and, and associations. I've been a leader to support my partner. I've, you know, you can be a leader in a whole bunch of different ways. And it does matter. And people are looking even more so now. Oh, yes. People are looking to leaders to help them. They want them to put the beacon on the hill the guide rails, whatever you want to call it. So I, I really appreciate that, that it does matter and it is a privilege. And it has been a privilege listening to your story about your unfolding career today. And, you know, you've, you've talked about how your values guide you and it comes through all through everything that, that, that we've talked about, Libby, that you make decisions based on your personal greatness and your personal greatness, you're very clear about what your strengths are, what your attributes are, what your values are. I think one of your your great strengths is the, the ability that you're you're curious. You have a curious nature and that has definitely uh, paid off that you've, you've been able to take risks that you put your hand up and, and ask for support and step forward and step up into that privilege um, of leadership. And I, I know that relationships do matter and you know you and I've had a relationship at afar but uh, one that I, I very much value and you're right that advice is is great because look if the world and, and the world of business in particular was based on spreadsheets and bits of paper and, and dot points uh, you know well it's not we all want to work with people that we know we respect and we trust so relationships are really important so your wisdom, uh, your experience, your vast experience across a range of different things, particularly in sport and politics, has, uh, I've really enjoyed hearing about that. And you are a, a leader who embodies leadership, is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. And the outcomes that you achieve for your community are terrific. So Libby Mears, thank you very much for joining me. And well, keep on being great. Oh, Michelle, that's so lovely. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar. Oh, 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 oh,